You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I've been having some fun, boys and girls. Just uh, haven't really done a YouTube tour in a while. Um, I, I wanted to kind of get back into it, make sure we've got all the right channels followed and everything so we can get ready for some sound clips for if and when we dabble in a little, um, how you say, laughing at the enemy. Because I find that to be, how you say, enjoyable. But anyways, that obviously isn't something we can do right now because everyone thinks that their team is going to win the Super Bowl. I just got done. The last video I watched was a Chicago Bears channel saying that um, the ceiling for the Bears is about 10 or 11 wins, and uh, they could possibly sneak into the playoffs. And, you know, probably not Super Bowl contenders right now, but you never know. So it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Vikings fans think they're going to win the division, and Lions fans, I've, I've seen several shooting for about 10 wins or so. So everybody in this division thinks they're going to get 10-plus wins, basically. I mean, Bears fans, not generally, which is hilarious that they're probably more pessimistic than Lions fans, but there's still that contingent. But that's all right. It won't be long for laughing at the enemy. But um, here, here's, I, I just kind of want to talk about the NFC North a little bit. I don't, I'll, I'll say flat out, I don't know. I really don't. I, I think if you honestly look at the floors and the ceilings of each and every team, there's not a lot of combinations of first, second, third, and fourth that couldn't be possible, right? Packers fourth is not going to happen pending an Aaron Rodgers injury, and even then, it's unlikely. But there are a lot of combinations, depending on whether teams hit their floors or their ceilings, that are very, very, very possible. I don't know. But as I've always said, at least... Give me an argument that makes sense. I can give you um, reasons to believe in the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions. No question. And the Packers, obviously, that's easy. But you know what I'm really tired of hearing? I'm really tired of hearing about how the Bears and the Vikings in particular are going to be better because they're, they have a new coaching staff. Just like that. Just automatically. We're better. Now, I want to give you a couple examples of hearing this and, and being annoyed by it. But just to be clear, I don't think the Bears win three games this year. That would not be my prediction. Uh, I think it was Sports Illustrated had them getting three wins. But let me just play this for you. Because again, I, I'm just listening and I'm waiting to hear something that kind of makes sense, waiting to hear a coherent argument of any kind. Here is Adam Rank, who I know, he's not, he's, he's certainly a biased person, as I am, so whatever. Um, but again, just just give me something, man. You're obsessed with the team. You live this team day and night. Tell me why three wins is absurd. I could tell you why three wins is absurd. I could do a better job than this. But here, here's what I had to hear. And so then Sports Illustrated, in their infinite wisdom, has the Bears predicted for three victories this season. A team that last year had no coaching, no offensive system, no identity on defense. Won six games, and yet now, with an easier schedule, are going to be three games worse. All right, I'll, I'll stop it there. Easier schedule I get, right? Maybe. Maybe. We don't know that it's an, it's another thing that's annoying, the, the strength of schedule prior to the season. We don't know who's a good and bad team. So we don't know that it's an easier schedule. We don't. I mean, just looking at the Bears' schedule, you got the 49ers. That's tough, right? Packers? Texans? That's easy. Is it? Probably, but I'm guessing they're improved. How much improved are they? The Giants. Are you better than the Giants? I have no idea. 
Vikings, probably going to crush you. Commanders, you better than the Commanders? Do you know anything about the Commanders? Because I don't. Patriots, they seem like a disaster, but it's Bill Belichick, and obviously they're going to have a competent defense, a strong offensive line, and if nothing else, they'll be able to run on you. Dallas, Miami, Detroit. I mean, Miami and Detroit are ones that they're writing out. Oh, those, those are garbage teams. Are they? I'm pretty sure Miami's going to smoke you. I, 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 I've been high on Miami for a while now. I don't know how high you should get, but um, I think Tua is massively underrated. I think Tyreek is going to be a massive piece. And that defense is going to smash your stupid faces in. The Lions? Oh, it's, they suck. They're the Lions. Okay, we'll see. With a dominant offensive line, with a great group of wide receivers, we'll see how easy that is. Falcons? I don't know. Probably suck. Don't really know, though. How's Marcus Mariota going to do in that offense? What about Kyle Pitts? How are you going to stop Kyle Pitts? They drafted Drake London. They still have a very strong offensive line. They have one of the better cornerback duos in football. The defense is considered weak, but they at least have that. And they also did draft Arnold Ebicady. Don't know how good he's going to be, but there's that. They still have Grady Jarrett, who's a good defensive tackle. So you can write him off if you want to, but I'm looking at good offensive line, uh, question mark at quarterback, one of the better tight ends in football, a first-round draft pick in Drake London, Brian Edwards, wide receiver going into year three, had a strong rookie campaign at least. Do you know for sure that the Falcons are going to be just something you can walk all over? New York Jets, yeah, they're a disaster. Okay, they have an, a, a much better offensive line than you do. A real solid offensive line. Zach Wilson in year two, three quality wide receivers, at the very least three number two wide receivers. They drafted maybe the best running back in the entire class. Sauce Gardner, along with uh, DJ Reed, who's a really good corner, has been for three years, and last year was a top 10 corner. Joyner and Whitehead at safety is a good duo. Yeah, I understand the quarterback seems to be a bit of a disaster, but I'm looking at, first of all, your quarterback was a disaster last year too, but beyond that, they have a better offensive line, better wide receivers, better potentially better running back, better corners, better safeties, and uh, probably better pass rushers. You might have better linebackers and defensive tackles, maybe, but that's about it. And if you think you're going to win based on that, you're out of your mind. Eagles, is that supposed to be a walk in the park? If Jalen takes a step, I know I've been saying it for all these teams, but this is probably legitimately the number one offensive line in football. I mean, the, the other guys have, you know, the Lions have a good offensive line. Jets have a good offensive line. This is a freakish offensive line. We're talking two top five offensive linemen, a top 10 offensive lineman, and, and two high quality guards. Maybe the best tight end in football. A.J. Brown is a top five, potentially top five wide receiver. Devontae Smith going into year two. He was a solid rookie. He's going into year two. Miles Sanders is a solid running back. Darius Slay was the fourth highest graded cornerback in all of football last year. Still have a high quality defensive line. Not the greatest in the world, probably a bit overrated, but uh, good enough to beat up on your trash offensive line. What are you going to do? And, and, and listen, it goes in both directions. It's entirely possible that some of these teams that seem really good uh, probably suck, but I, I just don't like the overall idea that you, we have an easy schedule. You don't know that. You don't know what these teams are going to be. You think every team last year that was good is going to stay good? Every team that was bad is going to stay bad? Because that literally never happens. But the part that annoys me the most is the constant complaining and I, listen, I get it, man. I mean, we, we went through it with Mike McCarthy and how frustrated we were with Mike McCarthy and how bad things were. I get it. When the coaching's bad and they're gone, it's a breath of fresh air. But that doesn't mean that what's coming in is going to be better. For us, it was with Matt LaFleur. However, he was one of about six coaches that was hired, and I'm pretty sure all the other five have been fired already because they suck. When we got rid of Dom Capers and brought in um, Mike Pettin, man, did that feel good. Dom Capers, we were so sick of that guy, couldn't get rid of him fast enough. And now we got this guy that's been a top 10 defensive coordinator every single year. I mean, again, Bears fans love to brag about um, their head coach that came in and how he consistently has top 10 defenses, which is to say usually, but not always. Mike Patton was always, every single year ever. He came in here, he was not good. Two years and he's gone. Special teams, same thing. Man, this guy's terrible. Anybody that comes in will be better. Finally, a breath of fresh air, blah, 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 and they just keep getting worse. I mean, look at the Lions, for example. It's, it's so funny when you look at the Lions. They had Daryl Bevel and Matt Patricia. 
right? Matt Patricia, they hated Matt Patricia, could not get rid of him fast enough. They finally got rid of him. Daryl Bevel comes in, whatever, right? It's a, it's a complete disaster. In fact, it got a lot worse after Matt Patricia left. He was 4-7. and seven. They went 1-4 and four after he left. They went 5-11. and 11. They brought in this new head coach that's considered the greatest coach in all of human history. He's a great motivator. He's all these wonderful things. They went down to 3-13. and 13. They won less games. They got worse. <laughs> and again, if they had kept on Matt Patricia the entire year, they probably win even more games. Because things got worse after Matt Patricia left. When you look at the win percentage, they could have ended up with six or seven wins. So they went significantly backwards after hiring a brand new head coach, and nobody's talking about it. Every Oh, Dan Campbell's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Why? Because he's roided out and yells and has a deep voice and is intimidating and gives great speeches? So what? I mean, we can just go down the line, and, and you tell me how many of these hires are just fantastic hires. Arthur Smith in Atlanta. I mean, it's early, but is that is that doing it for you? Matt Rule in Carolina. Man, was there a ton of hype about that. His win-loss record is 10-23. and 23. and Yeah, the, the roster isn't great, but the heck is Matt Rule doing to make them just this elite team? You can't just say, we got a new coach, therefore everything's fixed. Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. Mike McCarthy in Dallas. Dan Campbell again, 3-13. and 13. Robert Sala. And yeah, they went from a two-win team to a four-win team. I guess we'll call that progress. But, you know, look at all the hype. Did, did it match? Was it worth it? Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. I mean, maybe. Seems to me the best parts of their teams are the team that, you know, the players that were there before Nick got there. Still the same 35-year-old offensive lineman and 40-year-old defensive tackles and everything else that's kind of carrying the team. But yeah, I, I think they improved by like a game or two. But they went nine and eight. Kyle freaking Shanahan's record is thirty-nine and forty-two. How about Ron Rivera in Washington? Oh, that's the greatest thing ever. His record. Yikes! You can't just say we got a new coach, therefore everything's fixed. Do you remember the last guy you had? It was the same thing. He's an offensive guru. He comes out of Kansas City. It's the greatest thing ever. I mean, there was more reason to believe in that than anything else. You got. You know, this offensive guy and Mitch Trubisky was his early quarterback. And, oh, man, we got all these offensive weapons. And we went out and got Khalil Mack. And we went out and got uh, Allen Robinson. And we did all these special, magical things. There's every reason in the world to say this is going to be a different Bears team. What the heck are we talking about now? You went out and got a, a, a decent defensive coordinator. Go make him your head coach. And that's going to fix your offense after you drafted a safety in a corner? I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it. That's not a reason. That's not, an, that's not an argument. Well, guess what? The Packers went out and got a new special teams coordinator, so now it's better. Says who? Says nobody. That's stupid. You actually have to play better. But again, he just continues with the same shtick. With Matt Eberflus and this offense and this organization oh. that seems to have an identity and seems to have a purpose, and the best part about this. What, what identity and what purpose? The identity of we hate it here and we want to leave that identity? The identity of, of a mass exodus, of everybody leaving. The identity of your um, GM saying, if you were drafted by the previous regime, you mean jack squat to me, including the quarterback. That identity. What, what is the identity of the Bears? What, what, what is it? What would you say the identity is? Justin Fields? Is he the focal point of this, this team? That sucks. What is it? There, there's no... There's no dominant defensive force. There's no key thing that you look at the Bears and think, man, this is the identity. This is the this is who we are. This is our core. This is there's nothing. It's a pile of 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 has-beens that are like two years old. They have the Lions pick to win nine games. They bought in. They've seen hard knocks. See, he's he's really mad about it because the Lions now are considered what would he say nine wins and they're at three. He's really upset about it. But again, let I'm waiting for you to say anything relevant to this is where our team will thrive. But again, it's not just the Bears. And it's one thing to have a Bears guy say that, you know, three wins, you're out of your freaking mind. We're clearly going to be better than that. And here's a couple half-hearted attempts at, at proving that. That's one thing. But to have, like, national attention from people based on whatever, I just, I don't understand that. I don't understand the love. This might be the best defense they've had since they... So this is, this is he's just launching into it. Uh, what, are, what do we got here? NFL on NBC. 
I don't know who these three guys are, but they're they're betting stuff, whatever. He's saying, for the Vikings, this is the best defense they've had since they went to the NFC Championship game. Continue. They went to the NFC Championship and eventually lost to Philly. I mean, Daniel Hunter is back. They brought in some beef on the D-line. So you, you compare that D-line with the questions about Green Bay's O-line and receiving core, I think Minnesota wins the game. It's a great teaser piece as well. The defensive line... The other thing that annoys me with the Vikings is they point out what the Vikings have always had and try to pretend that it's something better. You know, so so they'll talk about the new coach, the new GM, and it's magical, right? We have this new magical thing, and, and we're going to be more modern and all that. Okay, that, that doesn't mean anything, necessarily. But then the other thing is to be like, oh, they've got this juggernaut offense with Cousins and Jefferson and Dalvin and... They had that last year and the year before that and the year before that, maybe not Jefferson, but they've all, they've had the same things every year. And the idea that this is somehow a much better um, or, or as good as they were back in 2017, when I think PFF had them ranked as like the second or third best defense in football is absolutely absurd. First of all, Daniil Hunter had a one year breakout thing that he never returned to. That's never going to happen again. They don't have anybody like Linval Joseph along the defensive line who had like a 91 overall grade, was maybe the best defensive tackle in football. There is no Linval Joseph on this team. By the way, Daniil Hunter was the second best defensive ed- or edge rusher on their defense. Just to give you an idea of how good the edges were. So you had Linval Joseph, Daniil Hunter, and Everson Griffin, who was better than Hunter back in 2017. You had Barr and Kendricks. Barr is gone. Kendricks is not quite as good as he was, although I think they were both overrated. Yeah, and I just looked. It was second highest graded defense with a 90-some-odd score overall. You had Harrison Smith playing the best year of his entire career. He had a 92.3 overall grade. The last two years, he's been in the 70s. He's never had a 92 overall grade any other year. You had a second safety in Andrew Sandejo, who was phenomenal. They don't have a clutch second safety anymore. They don't have an Andrew Sandejo. By the way, I don't know if they have a Xavier Rhodes right now. Xavier Rhodes and Terrence Newman were both highly graded cornerbacks. Trey Waynes had a 71 overall grade. He was the third highest graded corner. You know what the grades are for this team right now? Cam Dantzler, 73. So he would be maybe the second or third best corner on that defense. Clear number one here. You have Peterson, who uh, had a 63 overall grade, ranked 57th. And Sullivan in the slot had a 55 overall grade. So the corners were significantly better. The defensive tackles were significantly better. The edge rushers back then were better. The linebackers were better. And the safeties were better. What in the heck are you talking about? This is the, the idea that this is somehow a improved. It's not even improved. What has improved? What has improved? What is it? Because Daniil Hunt, Everson Griffin's gone. And we, we got rid of one of our talented defensive tackles and brought in a different one who plays in a different scheme. And we're going to make Daniil Hunter stand up, which is going to be great. And broke back Zadarius is going to be uh, on the team now. And um, we, we have Kendricks and Hicks trying to take things over now. And um, w- what, what has improved? What is something that's improved? I don't know what it is. Um, Lewis Seen, I don't think, is even going to play. I don't know if the other rookie cornerback is even going to play. If he does, I'm not scared of him. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't even a better defense than last year. And you're telling me this is the best defense they've had in the last five years when this was the, potentially the best defense in all of football? That's fantasy. If you're in a teasers, you can knock two or one and a half up through the three, up through the seven. And, and the idea that this elite defensive line is just going to carve up our offensive line, their defensive line did not get better. Our offensive line was decimated last year. Now, maybe we still don't have our tackles back. I don't really know. But I, 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 it's the same defensive line and offensive line largely that, that we're, we're seeing here. Again, other than the fact that Daniil has to learn a new position and uh, Zadarius, who was only good that one year, is, is playing with a bunch of run-defending defensive tackles. Yeah, I'm terrified. I love that spot. But I am higher on this team because I've seen the clippings and I've heard the quotes from Justin Jefferson. He's like, bro, I've never been this wide open in my entire life. 
you know, Kevin O'Connell comes in from Los Angeles. Here we go. And brings a lot of the simplicities of the Sean McVay system where you operate with pace and space. And this offense, I know Kirk Cousins doesn't win big games. What? That's not even true anymore. Whatever. He's got Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Matson, Irv Smith, KJ. The same guys he's had. Osborne. Like, these guys are going to be split out. Cook's going to be in the slot. They're going to. Cook's in the slot is not a benefit. That's a net negative. Because you know what? He's a better running back than he is a better than he is a slot receiver. That's breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. Do so many things that they haven't done in Minnesota with Mike Zimmer and his three yards. And by the way, it's all new. You can say whatever you want about their their the Vikings of old, but when you're already one of the better offenses and you go ahead and change that, because Zimmer has built this offense to fit what he wants to do. You make fun of him for his three yards and a cloud of dust offense. He built an off an offensive line around that. He got a quarterback that supports that. Everything about this offense fits what Zimmer wanted to do. Just saying. Cards and a cloud of dust BS. This offense <laughs> is going to be awesome. Kirk Cousins might throw for 5,000 yards this year. I'm higher on this team than I was before training camp because I'm listening to guys like Jefferson talk about how much freedom and how much opportunity they have. And that comes with a good play caller. So I agree with week one. I think it's a team that could potentially be a contender for the NFC. And they're going to be a lot better than people think because coaching matters in the NFL. Again, coaching. Coaching. It's, it's the same team. In my opinion, it's a, it's a worse roster. When you factor in, guys get a year older, they get a year worse. Thielen gets a downgrade. Dalvin Cook gets a downgrade. Every, all these guys go, who's helping to upgrade the team? Who is it? Nobody. Nobody's upgrading the team. Vikings fans are falling all over themselves about Ed Ingram, the, the right guard, because in preseason he was one of the highest-graded overall players. Right. If you look at his grades individually, though, he was an elite run blocker and a garbage pass blocker, which is Garrett Bradbury's problem. So from center to right guard, you have a massive deficit at, at the pass-blocking uh, portion of your game. Here's another thing. You know what I'm concerned about? One of the things that annoyed me in the preseason was the lack of pressure. But in a lot of cases, you saw pressure, but the ball just got out way too quickly. Is that going to be happening more or less with this aired out offense? First of all, if you're standing in shotgun and there's no more play action stuff, so you're not getting linebackers to bite up or any of that kind of stuff, you're, you're declaring this is a pass. And if you're going to try to threaten down the field, you have to stand in the pocket a little bit longer. And maybe you're not. Maybe this is all going to be underneath stuff. Best of luck to you with that. But all our guys need is time. And with enough time, they're going to get to you. So, you know, I... I, I I can't tell you definitively that the Vikings offense won't improve. I thought they already had a good offense, but we, we got to continue to play this game where, oh, no, the offense was terrible because Zimmer liked this old-school offense and Cousins was was terrible, although he was the sixth-highest-graded quarterback in football. And so it needs to change, and now that it's changed, it's going to get better. Okay, I think they peaked. Is anybody concerned about the fact that Cousins may fall off or that maybe Jefferson thrived. I understand you're hearing quotes about preseason. He's been open a lot and all that. That's great. He's going up against Vikings corners. We'll see if he has a lot of space to operate with when you're talking about Jair Alexander. If 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 I was if this was a Vikings podcast, I'd be concerned. That's what I'm telling you. If something's working, don't mess with it. The Vikings had a good offense. It scared the living crap out of me. And they changed it. They they uprooted it. They everything's different. Everything Kirk Cousins did before that was working is gone, and he has to do new stuff, and hopefully he can thrive in that. That's where we're at right now. Same with Justin Jefferson, same with Adam Thielen, and, and Dalvin Cook has to apparently learn to be a, a slot receiver now. So great. Congratulations on that. But you can't tell me, therefore, it's going to be great. That doesn't make any sense. It's new, therefore, it's great is stupid, and it's not real. It's not a thing. Again, just to, just to touch on a couple of these things, to be specific. I think I may have said this before, but I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate. Couple points of interest here. Highest graded quarterback using play action, Kirk Cousins, 91.2 overall grade. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that play action's going away. Maybe they're still going to utilize it a lot. I don't know. But when you're a run heavy offense and you're telling me that you're going to get away from that and you're going to be more spread out, it's hard to run play action from that. The threat of play action is much more effective when the threat primarily is running the ball and you're taking that away from him. 91.2 overall grade, 91.1 passing grade. 
with play action. 70% completion percentage. He completed 102 of 147 of his passes for 1,319 yards, 9.0 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. That's what Kirk Cousins did under play action. Now, again, he's not bad when he's not running play action. He's still a good quarterback. But his grade drops to an 80, from a 91 to an 80. So it just becomes a matter of mixing. If you go from 26% to 16%, his overall grade drops because it's more of the thing that's 80 and less of the thing that's 91. But that's not all. Like I mentioned, you go from two wide receivers to three wide receivers. With two wide receivers, which Kirk Cousins did a lot, he was the third most in the NFL behind just Tua and Matt Ryan, his overall value, looking at PAR via SIS, he was the seventh best quarterback. His value was the seventh best in the NFL looking at two wide receivers. We're going to be doing less of that. We're going to be doing more of what? Three wide receivers. His value via PAR drops to 17th, just one spot ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo. So again, different doesn't automatically mean better. How about this for an example? This is another thing that I found that that is going to make this team amazing, right? It's, it's something that Mike Zimmer didn't do, therefore they sucked. We're going to start do it, doing it, therefore we're going to be great. What is that thing? We're going to start throwing more on first down. On any down, his overall value via SIS is 11th. He drops to 18th when he throws on first down as a first down passer. So again, he does something more that he's less good at. He goes from nearly top 10 to below average. One spot below Trevor Lawrence, one spot ahead of Zach Wilson. Again, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal, but you can't just say it's different, therefore it's better. You can't. You have to show me why it's going to be better. And in this case, every single change that I can see is something that Kirk Cousins is worse at. And again, I will grant you that it's possible that Cousins is just good at the things that was were emphasized, and, and now that first down passing is emphasized, maybe he'll be better at it in this system, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Maybe. I don't know, and neither do you. But it sounds like the stuff that they were doing was working for Cousins, and you're asking him to do things that he was significantly worse at when he did it in Minnesota. Play action, two wide receivers, run the ball on first down. It's, it's boring, but it was effective. Now it's drop back, split out your running back, and throw on first down. And your quarterback is going to be significantly worse as a result of that. Anyways, I needed to get that off my chest. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. You can't just say we're new, therefore we're better. You actually have to be better. And I don't see better anywhere. I see the same old teams. Everything that's good about the Vikings they had last year. Everything that's good about the Bears is gone. <laughs> they don't have anything on that team. But prove it. Do something. Score points. Win games. Then we'll talk. Anyways, why don't we take a break right here. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, 608-501-0718. If you'd like to uh, call into Packernet After Dark. And again, pinned to the top of my Twitter as well as the Packernet Podcast Facebook group is the Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. That is who I will be supporting. And if you'd like to support them, that's where you can find the links. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. 
So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So figured I'd start off with just a little bit. We had Murphy takes five, so figured I'd just kind of touch on that briefly. Um, there was a question about events in the off season. Um, the plan is, and I believe this has already been known, but they want to do one big event per year. Wisconsin Notre Dame is planned for 2026. The shooting for the draft for 2027. They're planning on a concert for 2023 and 2024. And he said, since soccer was such a success, we'd love to do that again. Well, the only available open slot, unless we're going out to 2028, would be 2025. So concert, concert, soccer, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and then hopefully the NFL draft is maybe how they're planning on shaking this all out. Um, Asked about a future 18-game season, I was a little bit surprised by the answer because from what I've heard, it's basically a certainty, but maybe that's more of an NFL... um, Obviously, they always want more thing, but not necessarily from a logistical thing standpoint. But the question was, you know, when when they eventually go to an 18-game season, will there be an extra buy or whatever? But he says, with regard to your question, I wouldn't assume the league goes to 18 regular uh, games. First of all, there will not be any changes to the season structure during the current CBA, which expires in 2030. So it would at least be until after this that you could find another game. He says, I wouldn't be in favor of 18 games or an extra bye week as the season is already so long. Take that for what it's worth. I'm sure there are plenty of owners that would love the extra, you know, game because with games come revenue. But then he goes on to say, um, also, I know the broadcast networks are not in favor of a second bye since it limits the number of games in many of the weeks. He says, finally, I would like to see fewer preseason games, 17 regular and two preseason would make sense to me. I also find it funny how many ridiculous questions there are. I don't know if I don't know if he does this on purpose and highlights ridiculous questions just to be like, do you see the kind of stuff that I have to put up with? But like I don't get these kinds of questions. So I don't know if it's just like a different clientele that's on Packers.com or whatever um, that sends in messages to Brian Gutekunst than the people that listen to podcasts, for example. Maybe it's just a younger audience and dare I say slightly more informed audience. I don't know. But here's an example of a question that I don't get that is probably good that I don't because it's not good for me to attack listeners. Why don't you keep any Wisconsin players or even sign a UW-Whitewater players? I feel like if you look at any players that came from either Wisconsin or Whitewater, they have successful careers so far, and I feel like Ryan Wisniewski needs to get an opportunity to get a chance, especially with his home team, the Packers. I think both programs prepare players for NFL careers well, and also they are grinders. I think Danny Davis needs a chance to redeem himself. Please give more Wisconsin players chances to help the team win. I mean, I don't really need to read beyond the first line of his response. He says, I can assure you, Kennedy, we are not biased against Wisconsin or Whitewater. Because, duh. (laughs) I mean, I get that there's a general affinity for Wisconsin people, which comprises the majority of Packers fans, or at least a major pocket of Packers fans. They're from Wisconsin, and many people have an affinity for Wisconsin college players, right? It's kind of cool when, hey, they went to high school in Green Bay, or, you know, they they grew up in West Dallas and then went to the Badgers, and, you know, 
wouldn't it be cool if we brought him over here? Well, yeah, that might even be part of the sting of, of Watt. Watt and his whole family are, are Wisconsin guys. They're a Wisconsin family. I think they're from like Wauwatosa or something, which is like a Milwaukee suburb. So I get that it's kind of cool just because, you know, if, if you, you like Packer fans to be Packers, right? You always like when players like your own team and it's kind of cool to support local people or whatever, but let's not take it to an extreme to where we should give preference to Wisconsin players or to imply that Wisconsin players are really, really good and why don't you ever give them a, a shot? Because I can tell you exactly what's happening. It's not that Wisconsin players are good and and the Packers are just stupid. It's that we tend to be biased in favor of Wisconsin players. The Packers have the finger on the pulse of Wisconsin players more than any other NFL team because they're local. And so they put a lot of work into a lot of prospects. And if there's anybody in the state of Wisconsin that's really doing a great job and can help the Green Bay Packers, the Packers are going to know about it. They're going to bring them in and they're going to do everything they can to see if it's the right option. And in this case, they brought in Danny Davis. And he didn't do enough. It's the bottom line. I mean, he, he looked fine, but he didn't do enough to win a job. It's just kind of staggering to me that some people don't have the ability to say, maybe I'm, maybe I'm seeing this in kind of a biased way, you know? Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not the whole world conspiring against me. Maybe it's just I'm incorrect about this one thing. <laughs> Either I'm right and the whole universe is lying, or I'm just wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm right and the universe is lying. Anyways, I want to continue on a little bit with some of the other things I found while playing around on the YouTubes. Um, one of the things that's been coming up a lot, I think I even mentioned this yesterday, was the conversation about David Montgomery versus A.J. Dillon, right? That was a big thing on the Twitters. But anyways, w- one of the, the, the biggest underlying thing here, aside from nobody realizing A.J. Dillon is a good running back, bear... And, and, and this isn't just Bears fans. I think it's most around the league have no idea how talented he is. Oh, he's your backup. Like, that's that's the whole commentary. Like, Aaron Jones is good, and then A.J. Dillon, he's just a backup, right? Okay, well, if Justin Fields was a Packers quarterback, guess what? He'd be just a backup. If Kirk Cousins was a Green Bay Packer, he'd be just a backup. It doesn't really help the discussion at all to say he's a backup, therefore he's bad. It's irrelevant. By the way... And I've said this already, one of the um, more talented players on this entire team is the Bears' backup running back. If For those of you who say, I don't give them any credit or whatever, it's true. Here's the other thing, he might be better than David Montgomery. Anyways, I want to play a little bit of this video because there's it kind of goes along with this whole conversation that's been going on with Montgomery and Bears fans think he's a top 10 running back, but then there's questions about, is he actually that good? And then the newest question that was posed, and again, this is a video that kind of discusses it, is David Montgomery reportedly, doesn't really make sense, but I'm just reading it, is David Montgomery reportedly not a fit in the Bears' new offense? Um, Where's this coming from? ESPN's Dan Braziano uh, basically said about this um, report that, and I quote, the new staff seems to like David Montgomery just fine, but there's some skepticism about whether his style fits the new offense as well as Herbert's does, end quote. So that was basically where this is coming from, okay? And I just got to tell you, um, season's about to start in a week, right? Like, if David Montgomery wasn't going to fit in this offense, don't you think we would have known by now? Just saying, right? Like, I don't understand um, why this is coming out now. But more importantly, do I actually believe it? I, I don't really believe it in the sense of this year. Look, David Montgomery's in a contract year, okay? Absolutely after this year, we're going to evaluate whether or not we want to keep Monty in the offense, but that's only after we find out how he looks in the offense. Like, make no mistake about it. All the people that are like Khalil Herbert fans and backers that want him to get the starting job, he's not getting it this year. It's David Montgomery's show. Now, what does the style fit mean? What does that refer to? The Luke Getze offense is the West Coast offense, right? And so in the West Coast offense, you've got the outside zone runs that usually happen where, you know, you've got the backs breaking outside. You guys, are, I'm sure, seen it with the 49ers where they use, uh, you know, they've used guys like Raheem Mostert, Eli Mitchell, right? Guys like that to get on the outside and you need that lateral speed to get out. And so with David Montgomery, what I'm, 
guessing is being referred to here is he's probably the slowest of the Bears three backs in Herbert and Trisha Nebner. And so, you know, getting on the outside, hitting hitting the hole um, or hitting the outside hole, if you will, is a lot about speed and, and shiftiness. And Monty's not that type of back in the sense of, you know, he's not the fastest. All right, we get the point. Um, so a, a couple little nuggets here. This is Foz Sports, by the way. Uh, good dude does uh, Chicago Bears stuff on YouTube. Um, but I, I, so, so the general thought is, first of all, this is silly. Why is this coming out now? Um, we would have heard about it by now. Look, we could almost say similar things about Alan Lazard as the number one wide receiver. Not that it has, but if it came out, we could, we could say the same thing he's saying. Like, why is this coming out now? Wouldn't we have heard about it by now that, you know, I don't know, uh, Watkins or Dobbs or somebody is, is, maybe a better fit or or is doing a better job as the number one wide receiver or whatever. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you're hearing it now. And and to his point, what did he say? Well, it's it's going to be Montgomery's job anyways. Even if they're kind of like, uh, I don't know, it might be better with so-and-so. He's going to be the guy. Same with Lazard. And that may change as the season goes on if it becomes abundantly clear that somebody's better. But his entire summary of this is that there's going to be more getting to the outside with this scheme which is hilarious because the Bears keep going out and getting these guys that can't move. And since he's not as fast, that's probably what we're talking about. Let, let, me, um, let me just show you something, though. Again, referring back to SIS, first of all, one of the things that I thought was interesting is when I looked at this, and, and again, if you listen to Coach Hahn when I had talked to him, because we went through SIS, and I wanted him to just help me understand what all these different runs were and what all these different things were, just so we kind of understood the terminology and whatnot, right? Pitch, reverse, inside zone, counter, outside zone, trap, direct snap, draw, end around, backward pass, stretch, broken play, jet sweep, fullback dive, lead, power sweep, zone counter, duo, wham. And, um, you know, terminology can be different depending on certain things. There's probably a lot you could add to this and a lot that's just being lumped into other things. But what's not on here is what's called wide zone, which is apparently what the Packers do, not necessarily outside zone. Okay, whatever. But interestingly enough, wide zone differs from outside zone in in that the goal isn't necessarily to get to the outside. Let me just read this random article I found, Fish Duck. There you go, Oregon thing. It says, at first glance, you could easily mistake the outside zone and wide zone for one another, but there are actually some philosophical differences between them. Where the outside zone tries to get to the outside of the defense, wide zone looks to stretch the defense first and then puncture it. So we're trying to stretch them out, which creates gaps inside that you run through, which is to say, and SIS actually corroborates this, the Packers are more of an inside zone than an outside zone team. I think they just call wide zone inside. They, they lump inside and wide zone as kind of one big category. Wide zone is a form of inside zone. The reason I'm bringing any of this up, partially because it's interesting from a Packers standpoint, the Bears ran more outside zone than the Packers did. The Packers are more inside zone. The Bears are more outside zone. In fact, if you look at the Bears' backup, Khalil Herbert, he ran 144 outside zone plays. Aaron Jones ran it 120 times. A.J. Dillon, 71 times. From a value standpoint on outside zone, A.J. Dillon has a negative 2.4 PAR. Aaron Jones, negative 0.3. David Montgomery, 3.6. Khalil Herbert, 5.1. The Packers were not good at outside zone. The Bears were. But what about inside zone? And remember, the Bears are going to start replicating what the Packers did, which means they're going to actually go from outside zone to inside zone. A.J. Dillon, 5.7. Aaron Jones, 2.2. David Montgomery, 0.9. Khalil Herbert, 2.0, which is almost tied with what Aaron Jones was in terms of value. Now, Khalil Herbert didn't do it very often. I had to drop the minimum carries down significantly just to get him on here. But the point is, he's a better running back. He was a better running back overall and with outside zone also. But the point is, as they shift to a more inside zone focus, or I guess wide zone, compared to what they used to do, which was outside zone, again, according to SIS, I didn't watch enough Bears games to recognize what it was they were doing. But just looking at David Montgomery and the value that he brought, again, he drops from 3.6 to 0.9. 
on this what's called it's it's like war but it's you know it's it's par wins above replacement this is points above replacement i'm assuming it's this it's basically the same thing but it just gives you a more blown up picture otherwise khalil herbert point two david montgomery point one damian williams zero aaron jones negative zero and aj dillon negative point one you know what i mean it's it's very they're all basically exactly the same it's just a blown up picture but this is this is the data to back that up further and again, it, it follows along with what I was saying in the first portion of the show. Different doesn't automatically mean better. Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery are both significantly better running backs so far with outside zone. They're shifting to inside zone because that's what the Packers do, and we're going to change to become like the Packers. And again, like I said with Kirk Cousins, it's entirely possible to say, well, now that we're going to emphasize inside as opposed to outside, we're going to become better at it just like the Packers are better at it. The problem is... You have built an entire offensive line and drafted running backs for the express purpose of running what the Bears used to run, which apparently was outside zone. The tackles, the guards, the centers, and the running backs were built for that purpose. There's no reason to believe that just because we're shifting our focus, everything's going to be better now. In an ideal world, I guarantee you, and and going forward, they're going to be doing this. They're going to be scouting to build a roster that is based on what it is we do here. They don't have that luxury. They only have so many picks. They only have so much money to go out in free agency. There's only so much draft capital we can throw away to bring in free agents or, or to make trades. So to some degree, or in this case to a massive degree, you kind of just have to live with what you got. And although in the future this may work beautifully, because just like the Vikings were modernizing, right, we're, we're going with this system that's really, really great, wonderful. But you need the right pieces to make it work. You don't have the pieces. You're trying to run a Green Bay Packers offense with a Matt Nagy with Matt Nagy players. The Vikings are trying to run a Rams offense with Zimmer players. It's not that that's a bad plan to run a different offense, but you got the wrong tools to get it done. There's a reason why rebuilds take time. You know, at least for the let's just use the San Francisco 49ers for example. They might have been way off on on Trey Lance. I don't know. But at the end of the day, the head coach, the guy that is the orchestrator of that offense, he's the one that handpicked him because that's the guy that's going to fit our offense the best. Maybe they're wrong about the talent, but they like the tools specifically for their offense. It's a perfect fit. It's just a question of can you execute. My question, and, and this is where I keep coming back to Daniil Hunter, the guy can execute. But now he's got to do something different, and I don't know. Same with Cousins. I know Cousins is a quality quarterback despite all the hate. I know he can. I've seen him carve up the Packers' defense every freaking year. I've seen those pinpoint passes to Adam Thielen right over Jai, right, right past the outstretched fingertips of Jair Alexander. I've seen it. You don't have to tell me. But now you're, run, you're asking him to run a completely different offense. So I don't doubt it at all. And And... Again, to Foz's credit here, he even goes on to say, you know, next year, yeah, we'll have to reevaluate and decide if he is the guy going forward. But as of right now, Montgomery is the guy. That's the correct take. But you can't just outright dismiss it and say that's nonsense. Of course, he's a great running back. How do you know? Well, he had a bad offensive line. First of all, you still have a bad offensive line. Second of all, you can't just blame that. You can't just say, well, I know for a fact if he had a better offensive line, he'd be better. How do you know? You don't know. You're just assuming. That would be like if you find a car on the side of the road and it won't start. And you see that the tires are all blown out and everything's just a complete mess and there's no battery inside. And you say, well, it doesn't have a battery. So if you put a battery in it, it'll start. How do you know? Well, because it doesn't have a battery. So if you put a battery in it, it'll start. You don't know that. But that's the kind of logic we get constantly with these teams. Here's a problem. Therefore, if you fix the problem, it fixes everything. Maybe there's another problem. Maybe his lack of being a good running back has to do with his lack of being a good running back. Maybe the Bears offensive line wasn't, or or the the Bears offense wasn't just a product of Matt Nagy. And I'm not defending the guy necessarily, but the lengths to which they're willing to go to put every single possible problem on Matt Nagy is unbelievable. They have made a conscious decision, and Vikings fans are doing a very similar thing with Zimmer. Not to the extent that Bears fans are, but it's very similar. Everything that's a problem with Minnesota was Zimmer's fault. Toxic culture, old, uh, antiquated system, which isn't even necessarily true. The offense was running on a very modernized system. It was essentially the 49ers offense. That's, 
That's what they were running. It's the same wide zone concepts that they ran in, in San Francisco and whatnot. Guys like Stefanski and everything, they all run in the same circles. Not saying it's identical, but trying to act as though, and, and that's the thing, we, we overinflate the excuses. We're acting as though this is like a 1983 offense, and now we're modernizing it. It was a modern offense. It might not have been the kind of modern that you like. You'd rather be the Rams than the 49ers. It's the same West Coast offense, but you know, one is more of a focus on running the ball and hitting tight ends and whatnot, and the other one is more spread the wide receivers out. It's funny that people even call it a Zimmer offense. Zimmer didn't deal with the offense. He, I mean, granted, he had input. He was a defensive guy. And beyond all that, the offense wasn't even the problem with the team. Zimmer's stupid offense. It's not Zimmer's offense, and the offense wasn't the problem. I mean, I'm not saying it was great, but your offense ranked 14th in points, 12th in yards. Your defense ranked 24th in points and 30th in yards. The defense is the problem. The offense, this... This run-the-ball-first, three-yards-in-a-cloud-of-dust offense scored 30 points one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times last season. Almost half the season, they were in the 30s. But again, this, this sort of revisionist history that says all of our problems were Zimmer, all of our problems were Nagy. It's nonsense. I mean, explain to me how bad play calling accounted for Justin Fields throwing 10 interceptions. How did he do that? Well, he didn't put him in good enough situations. Why did he throw to the defender? 30th ranked passer in the NFL last year via PFF. Seven touchdowns, 10 interceptions. How is that Matt Nagy's fault? I, I, I understand if the statistics aren't high enough, right? He would have had more yards, more touchdowns if you called better plays. But why were there so many bad decisions by Justin Fields? His adjusted completion percentage? which is how many times he completed a pass minus not including any of the drops or any of the throwaways or anything like that. It's just you threw the ball and you missed. He was 38th out of 39 quarterbacks. 38th out of 39. Mike Glennon is the only quarterback with a worse adjusted completion percentage. What in the world does that have anything to do with Matt Nagy? All we're talking about is inaccurate passes. That's it. If it's an accurate pass that he doesn't come down with, that's not a, a part of this. That's called a drop. And all the sacks get blamed on, on Matt Nagy as well. It's, it's, it's all his fault for not creating, you know, this, that, or doing a... Justin Fields sat in the pocket longer than anybody not named Jalen Hurts and Jameis Winston. Third longest time to throw. He sat in the pocket forever. Of course you're going to have more sacks when you sit in the pocket forever. 3.06 seconds on average. Yep, going to be a lot of sacks. The other big part of that is, aside from Justin Fields' own fault, is the offensive line, which did not improve. The low quality of player at not just quarterback, but offensive line, as well as wide receiver, is not Matt Nagy's fault. And it's not going to improve just because Matt Nagy is gone. Suddenly our offensive line is going to know how to block? I don't think so. So, I'm, I, again, I'm just tired of hearing it. It's true. When we moved on from Mike McCarthy, it was a great day because Mike, and we could point out exactly what the issues were. Mike McCarthy just keeps doing this, 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 and I'm tired of it. And now he's gone. Great. But that's all you get to say. You don't get to say Matt LaFleur's here, therefore now everything's better. It did get better for us. That's true. But it didn't have to. In fact, nobody even believed it would. A lot of Packer fans, myself included, were not excited about the hire. And he got absolutely no respect. You, you don't want to know why he doesn't win and won't win coach of the year? Because he was mocked and ridiculed when the Packers hired him. And nobody wants to go back and say, I guess I was an idiot. This is one of the best hires we've seen in the last several decades. It's actually amazing. <laughs> Again, it's weird because it, it's, I don't want to just believe that, oh, there's this Packers bias that exists out there because I don't understand why there would be. You can't even blame Rodgers with his beliefs because this was, goes back before that. I really genuinely believe that all of the... There was a giant switch from the Packers are the most revered team in football to the Packers are a joke when, um, the heck is that guy's name? Tyler Dunn wrote that hit piece on the Packers. That was the moment that everybody jumped off the ship and the Packers became a joke. I think that was it. That was sort of the defining moment when it was okay to attack this sort of untouchable deity that was the Packers for many, because like I've said for years, the Packers got nothing but praise for everything. For everything. All they talked about was Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers, Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, every player on defense. I mean, even, you know, Clay Matthews, 
probably got way more credit than he deserved. All the Packers wide receivers and the offensive line and the quarterbacks, they, they could not get enough gushing and gushing. And, and it goes back to John Madden. I mean, it, it's been just a long period of constant gushing over the Packers. And I think once that Tyler Dunn thing came out and there was a hit piece just talking about how horrible everything is, Mike McCarthy is just this terrible owner or, or head coach and um, the rifts that are going on between the players and between Rodgers and the, and the head coach and the front office and all these things. Since then, it's just never recovered. And, and there was this quick turnaround. I mean, the, the, the coach, the GM, the defensive coordinator, all that stuff went out the door. And we got a whole new fresh batch, and the Packers go back to winning, and, and it just never it never turned around again. It never came back to what it was. Um, but it's just it's just funny because everything that you're hearing about the Vikings and the Bears and, and all these other teams, the Jets when they got Sala and all this stuff, why didn't the Packers get that benefit of the doubt when they got Matt LaFleur? Why didn't they? Doesn't it make infinitely more sense than to praise the Bears for what they've done? This is a team that already was more or less set up. I mean, they, they needed a little bit of work, and, and obviously, fortunately, they were able to get that from Brian Gutekunst, patching up masterfully some of the holes that were there. Um, but with Aaron Rodgers sitting there, looking at bringing in this sort of Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan system, why wouldn't you automatically say Matt LaFleur is the number one candidate for coach of the year? That seems obvious. Because Aaron Rodgers is going to go from that stale Mike McCarthy offense to this new sort of Shanahan offense that that Aaron Rodgers has personally gushed over and talked about how great it is and all these things. That never happened. He was mocked and ridiculed because, oh, it's just another shit. Everybody that touches uh, McVay is just going to, you know, it's going to be, he's basically the water boy. And I know the Packers are not trying to uh, impress the media. I don't mean to imply that, but. It just feels like, you know how there was, um, again, I was watching Lord of the Rings, and I, I think it's like the last one or whatever, the third one, I don't know, the stupid one where the ghosts just like wipe everybody out and it's like, the worst ending to a movie I've ever seen. Anyways, I'm pretty sure it was that one. You know how there was that king whose son died, and he went kind of crazy, and he had another son that didn't die, and that son was like constantly trying to impress his dad and be like, you know, I'm pretty, pretty hardcore too, and like I can lead an army and go do all this stuff. And it didn't matter what he did. He, he hated the guy. He wanted him dead. He wanted his son dead. He thought he was garbage. You should have been the one that died, not the other one that was better. And um, the guy goes out and like charges into an army that he, he absolutely cannot win, but he's doing it essentially to win the approval of his father or whatever. But the point is, did he get the approval? Of course he didn't, because it doesn't matter. There is no winning the approval anymore. It's over. They hate you. I don't know why. But it's just it's it's just a thing now. They don't want to like you. And it's it's really hard to quantify why they won't come back around. You know, like things were bad. You're right, and you were right to say, hey, things are bad here. But they went immediately won 13 games. And even if you want to question it and be like, eh, maybe that was a fluke, then they did it again, and then they did it again, and still, eh, I don't know. If Rogers wasn't there, it wouldn't be a good football team. Yeah. <laughs> which doesn't mean anything. Well, they, they can't win a Super Bowl. 31 teams are not going to win a Super Bowl, Chief. What are there, 12 teams that go to the playoffs now? So every year, 11 teams are going to make it to the playoffs and not win the Super Bowl? But let, let me make this even easier for you. It's not going to be shocking if the Packers make it to the playoffs and lose. And that's not because that's what the Packers do. What are the odds that they make it to the playoffs? Above 50%. What are the odds that if they make it to the playoffs, they're going to win the Super Bowl? Below 50%. So the odds for this team, as well as every other team that's expected to make it to the playoffs, is that they make it to the playoffs and then they lose. It's not a shock. We need to stop expecting the Packers. Well, the Packers should win. Why? Why should they win? Why, why are we entitled to a Super Bowl above and beyond all the other teams that are worthy of winning? Tampa, the Rams... The Bengals, the Chiefs, the Bills. Why, why do we have this entitlement as though it's ours and if we don't get it, it's because we just didn't take advantage of what was handed to us. Nothing is handed to us. It's a nearly impossible task, okay? Again, on average, a team is going to win once every 32 years. Packers haven't won in like 11 years. Oh, burn it all down. 
says the teams that haven't even been to the playoffs in decades. Anyways, I just I just needed a day to get that off my chest, and I, I feel like, at least for now, we got it. All right? We got it. Feeling good, feeling okay. Now, I'll tell you what, if the Bears and Vikings win week one, <laughs> this is going to suck. But, uh, you know cross that bridge when we come to it i'm gonna leave it at that you guys have yourselves a fantastic day i will talk to you tomorrow have a good one Bye-bye.